That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons across the fort of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for, this is day, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Thank you, Tegan. Good morning. Let's, let's start off with a prayer. If you would bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you for bringing us here together. Lord, I, I come before you with my brothers and sisters, with this family of believers. We are here in your presence, Lord, and we are so thankful that we can do that, that we have the freedom to gather together, the freedom to praise you, to worship your name. Lord, we are so thankful for your grace, for your abundant mercies, for your forgiveness. We're so thankful for the word that you've left with us, that you've given us to read and study and, and know who you are. We're so thankful for the church, the body of Christ, for the Holy Spirit that is active and alive and at work in us and through us and around us. Lord, we come before you this morning. I ask you, Lord, please speak your truth, your words this morning. Unfetter my mind and my lips, my mouth. Speak through me, Lord. Let me recall the things you've given me to say, the words, the stories, the scriptures, the truth that you have placed on my heart to share with the family here this morning. Please, Lord, open our minds and our hearts to you, to your presence, to your word, that we may all be edified and uplifted for your namesake and for your glory, for the kingdom of heaven here in Kerrville, in Texas, and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was out in the foyer a minute ago talking with um, somebody, I won't say their name, it was one of our elders, and uh, he, he said that that verse starts off just all wrong. It just starts off wrong because it says, um, he together with his two wives, and he said, I don't care if it was allowed. Two wives, that's just not okay. <laughs> he said, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't have two wives. So I really like that story. Um, I think it's a really powerful story, and I want to I back up first and go all the way back to Genesis, to Genesis Chapter 1, the very, the very first two verses. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. For the Hebrew people, for the Israelite, the Jewish nation, water was a symbol of chaos. And we see that symbol of chaos throughout the Bible. And, and it was a symbol of, of unknown, of turmoil, of confusion. And so we even see in the, in the story of Peter walking on the water. He goes out onto the water in the storm, the chaos of the waves and the wind and the storm. And Peter losing, losing faith, so to speak, and he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out and, and lifts him up out of the chaos. So we see in, in, the, in the story of God at work, in humanity from the very beginning from the creation that God has been working to create peace from chaos that he has been bringing peace to our chaos and 
so it made me it made me think about my own life as I as I pondered that. And Tanya actually reminded me of that that symbolism of of water and chaos. And I I thought about sometimes in life we feel that way. Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I look around and it seems like I see these other families or other people and it seems like things are going so well for them. Everything seems to be working out. Everything seems to be going smoothly. They've got it all figured out. Everything's a bed of roses. And, and honestly, I think there's been times in my life where I've kind of felt like that, where things have been easy. But then there's been times in my life where things have seemed really chaotic, where things have seemed really difficult and confusing. And I've felt like I was in the dark, waters of chaos and it, it can look different for everybody um, it, it could be because of a death it could be because of uh, relational struggles with a spouse or relationship issues with a, a child or work so many different things can cause that chaos or a combination of those things and when you're in that that period of life it's like trying to have you ever tried to grab a hold of water have you ever tried to reach out and hold on to water and grip it tightly? You, you can't do it, right? I mean, it's impossible to, to grip and grasp water. It just goes right through your fingertips. And you, you reach out here in those times of darkness and confusion, and you're trying to find something to, to grasp onto, to hold onto for stability and, and for support. And sometimes it's just not there. Sometimes you're just lost. And... Um, it made me think of another thing. I just recently started a, a new job. I work at um, in San Antonio at iFly. And iFly, some of you may know what it is. If, if you don't, it's a, a wind tunnel. So imagine a wind tunnel where they would test aerodynamics on cars and airplanes and things like that. This is a wind tunnel that's vertical. So it's a big, tall tunnel. It's about 12 feet wide, and it's about, uh, about 30 feet tall. And there's two big fans that push the air, and so it creates a really powerful column of air, and then you can you can actually get in there and fly. And so you can do it for fun. People do it to practice for skydiving, all sorts of different things. And so sometimes when we have new flyers, new people that have never done it before, they'll come in, and before they go in, we give them a kind of a brief training, kind of a, a debriefing, just getting them ready and telling them a few things. And one of the main things I always tell the students is you need to relax. You just have to relax and, and ride on the wind and let the wind hold you up. But inevitably, there's always, from time to time, there's people who get in there and they're trying, it's, they're struggling so hard, it's like they're trying to stay on top of the wind. And this wind is blowing at like 120 miles an hour, and they're trying to stay on top of it, and the harder they try to stay on top of the wind, the, the more out of control they are. They're, they're all, all over the place, falling and, and moving around. And so I'm in there as an instructor holding on to them, keeping them safe so they don't run into the wall or fall onto the net. And, and so I'll bring them out and i say, you just need to relax and stop trying to stay on top of the wind. Let the wind hold you up. And um, so I, I, I thought about that. And in our lives, this, these chaotic periods, these chaotic times that we go through and how sometimes we try so hard, we struggle to stay on top of everything instead of just relaxing and holding on to the thing that we really need to hold on to the thing that we really need to grasp and not let go of which is God and so that that brings us to this story of Jacob in Genesis 32 and I really like that story so here's Jacob he's got his family 
and he sends him across the river, and he decides to stay on this side of the river by himself. He's going to spend the night alone. He's, if you remember, he's on his way back home. He's been living in a foreign land. He's on his way back home to meet with his brother Esau, who last time they saw each other, Esau was trying to kill him. Esau wanted Jacob dead, and he made a promise that he was going to kill him. So that was the last encounter they had. It's been about 20 years or so. Jacob is going back to meet his older brother who wants to kill him. That sounds like a chaotic time period. That sounds like a scary, dark moment. So there he is at night alone, and he's laying on the ground trying to go to sleep. And the Bible says this man shows up. Now, people can argue about if it was a, a physical man, if it was an angel, the angel of the Lord, if it was God, exactly what it was. Um, I, I think it was an angel. That's my it's just my opinion. There's no definitive answer on this. But I think it was an angel um, sent by the Lord. And so Jacob begins to wrestle with this angel. And to me, that's a, that's a very interesting, kind of a weird situation that, that Jacob starts wrestling with this angel. And there, there they are, wrestling all night long, holding on to one another. And I don't know what they were, what they were doing. Like, did they have a goal? They're, they drew a circle on the ground, and they're trying to push each other out like sumo wrestlers, or they're trying to pin each other like WWF, or what are they doing? I, I don't know. I, I think about me and my brother when we would wrestle, and usually it involved him pinning me on the ground and then sitting over me and, and letting spit drip down and then sucking it back up and drip down, see how close he could get it to drip to my face before he sucked it back up, or, you know, grabbing me in a headlock and, and giving me a noogie until my skull, uh, scalp was raw. So I don't think the angel was probably doing that to Jacob, but they're wrestling. This is a weird image, and they wrestle all night long. My brother and I used to wrestle for 20 or 30 minutes, and I would be exhausted. For one, because he was just so much stronger than me. He was bigger than me. I was the little brother. And I would be so tired after 20 or 30 minutes. But they wrestled all night. And then the part that, the part that catches my attention the most, that seems the strangest to me, is when it says, when the man or the angel saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he said, let me go. So just a second. If you think about all the stories in the Bible of angels and the things that they do, Angels are extremely powerful, extremely strong. They've done amazing things when commanded by the Lord to go out and do things. So I, I don't know. I don't understand how this angel could not have overpowered Jacob. And maybe it wasn't that he couldn't overpower Jacob's strength. I like to think that he couldn't, he couldn't overpower Jacob's grasp. Not that Jacob was so strong that he could pin the angel to the ground. Not that Jacob was so strong he could put the angel in a headlock, but that no matter what the angel did, Jacob wouldn't let go. And that's what the angel couldn't get away from. <laughs> the other day, I had to go to work. It was time for me to go to work. And so I was going out of the door, and I have my four boys. And so usually the three bigger boys, you know, I'll go and give them a hug, tell them I love them, tell them I'm, I'm going to work. But Solon, the five-year-old, it's, it's a little bit different dynamic, right? So Solon, I'll say, okay, buddy, I'm going to work, and he'll run, and he'll jump up. Usually I give him a big hug, and then I try to, I let go, and he just hangs. <laughs> so there he is, hanging onto my neck, 
feet dangling, and I'm like this. <laughs> okay, I got to go to work, buddy. I got to go. No, no, you're not going. I'm, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. Now, I can obviously overpower Solon. He's five years old, but I can't overpower his grasp. It's so difficult for me to get away from that tight grip of my son. Could, could, I, could I wrench his hands off my neck and throw him to the ground? Yes, but I can't, right? I couldn't do that. I can't do that. I won't do that. And he won't let go. So there we are. We're stuck. <laughs> what do we do? I give him another hug. I tell him I love him again. And I tell him I have to go to work. And as long as he keeps holding on, I'm pretty much stuck there. Because he won't let go. And I think that's what Jacob was doing. Jacob, he wouldn't let go. And he said, I won't let go until you bless me. Now, I think, I think we all know, I think most of us are, are mature enough in Christ to know that blessings from the Lord don't always look like what we want them to look like, but they're still blessings. And when we hold on to God for the purpose of his blessing, that doesn't mean we're going to get our way, that doesn't mean we're going to get what we want or even what we pray for, but it does mean that God is going to give us his goodness in our life. And that can take all sorts, all forms. That can look very different from person to purpose, person, from situation to situation. But what we do is we hold on. We don't let go. You know, the other thing about that story is that the, the, um, the angel, it says he touched Jacob's hip. And that from that moment on, for the rest of Jacob's life, he walked with a limp. So when we have these, these encounters with God and we grab a hold of him and we don't let go, we are going to be changed. When we wrestle with the Lord and we grasp tightly to him during those times of chaos and we refuse to let go, we will be changed and we may walk with a limp. We may walk with the scars of that time. But those scars become a part of us, our testimony, our witness to God's goodness, God's faithfulness. You know, I talked about wrestling with my brother. One time, he actually reminded me of this a few weeks ago. I had forgotten. One time we were wrestling and lots of times the wrestling matches would end with him, the older brother, giving me a wedgie. And that's how they would end, because I would be pinned on the floor in pain getting a wedgie, and I would just have to give up. Well, one time we were wrestling, and he started to give me a wedgie. And for however it worked out, I actually got in a position where I could give him a wedgie too. So there we are on the floor, both just giving each other a wedgie, just... And I, I refused to let go. I was like Jacob. I was not letting go. And there we are, yelling and screaming on the floor, just pulling with all of our might. And the way that it ended was both of us ended up ripping the waistband of our underwear completely off. <laughs> and he actually pulled the waistband up over my head. You've heard Bill Cosby talk about that. It, he did that to me. And so just like Jacob, after that wrestling match, I did walk with a limp for a little while. But I was not going to let go. He had done that to me so many times, I wasn't going to give up. I was going to hold on, even if it was painful. And that's what we have to do with the Lord. We have to hold on and not let go. That's why the, the title of, of the sermon is, Won't Let Go. It's a choice that we make. Are we going to hold on to God in every situation? Even when things look bleak, when things are dire, when you can't see the way out, when you don't see the solution, are you going to keep holding on to the Lord? 
the um, <clears throat> the interesting part about this, or, or another interesting, is that there's this dichotomy. There's a contrast between these two things, holding on tightly to the Lord, while at the same time letting go of our own lives, dying to ourselves, letting go of our own wants, our own desires, our own plans, but yet holding on tightly. So this, this contrast, this dichotomous relationship where we're gripping tightly and also letting go. And the Bible is full of these dichotomies. There's a, a few examples that I thought of. Cor Corbin was helping me think of examples the other day. So we have God's abundant grace, his abundant mercy, and at the same time, God's justice and wrath. These two contrasting ideas that are present in the Bible. We can see God's grace in 1 Timothy 13 and 14. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So that's God's abundant mercy and grace on one hand, and on the other, his wrath, Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes upon the sons of disobedience. Um, another one, another dichotomy in, in the Bible. When I am weak, then I am strong. God's power is made perfect in weakness. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This contrast of, of being weak yet made strong through Christ. Through Christ. Um, in 1 Corinthians, God chooses the lowly things of the earth to shame the wise. That same idea at work in the story of Gideon, right? Gideon was the, the least of his clan, the lowest member of his family, but God chose him to do something amazing. This contrast of two things that seem to be at odds, but God uses those for his plan, for his glory. The broad and narrow paths. We talked about that on, on our mission trip last week in McAllen. In Matthew 7, 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. <clears throat> when I was little, I would, most days of the week, so my mom, she taught elementary, and my dad, he worked for my grandfather. They worked together. They, uh, they had a bunch of cows they took care of. They had hay all over, kind of all over the area where they would go. And so he, lots of times my dad was either going out on the tractor to either plant the hay or to cut the hay or to rake it or to bale it or haul it around or whatever. And so every morning, um, Kathy Ingram here at church, Kathy would come over to our house and it was me and my cousin Hillary and the Seabeck girls and a few other kids. Kathy would take care of us every day. And I remember one morning, um, Kathy came over. My mom had already gone to work, and Kathy came over, and my dad was still there at the house, and he got ready to leave. And so our house was um, on West Main, and just a few houses down was my grandfather's house. And so my dad was just going to walk down there to go um, get on the tractor and go go work in the field. And that day, I wanted to go with my dad so bad. And I remember Kathy was there in the house, and, and my dad was about to leave, and I was doing the same thing that Solon was doing to me. I was holding on to him, and I was hugging on to him, and I was saying I wanted to go with him. And he was saying, no, you need to stay here. I've got to go. And I wouldn't quit. 
I just wouldn't quit. I, I kept on, and I started crying. I started crying as hard as I could. And, and I, I, knew, I knew, or I thought, the harder I cry, the better chance I have of convincing him. Maybe I can change his mind to let, him, to let me go with him. And I kept crying and kept crying and begging to go with him and holding on to him. And finally, eventually, he, he had to kind of tear himself away from me. Kathy held on to me. And um, so my dad started, you know, out the driveway, and he started walking down the street. I could see him walking down the street. And um, so I kind of calmed down. And when Kathy let go of me and put me down, I just bolted out the door. And I ran across the yard, and by that time, my dad was just a little way down the street. So I, I, I had to run out into the street, across the street, and chase him. And I knew that I was going to upset Kathy. I knew that she wouldn't like it. I knew that it was dangerous for me to run into the street. But I wanted to go with my dad so bad. I didn't care at that point. I didn't care if I upset her. I didn't care if it was dangerous. I wanted to go with my dad. And when I chased him down, screaming, and I grabbed a hold of him, he changed his mind, and he actually let me go with him that day. And from then on, there was lots of times, not when I would cry to get my way, but when he would take me with him out into the field. And it was such a joy for me. I loved going with him, to be with him all day long. And then, after I got a little bit older, what's, what's kind of ironic is that I got to the point where I was maybe eight or nine, he would take me with him, and we'd get out to a field, and we'd start, we'd start bailing the hay. And we're going round and round and round, and he's driving, and I'm sitting on the, on the wheel well of the tractor, and the sun is beating down. It's hot. We're sweating. I'm thirsty, but I'm happy because I'm with my dad. We're working. And I remember one day he stopped the tractor, and he said, or we're driving. He said, okay, you see how I'm driving, how I'm keeping the wheels lined up with this and the hay, and this is what I'm doing? Yes, sir. And he said, when we make the turn, you see how I do it? Yes, sir. And he said, okay, you're going to drive. I have to go run an errand. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, you just keep on going. Do, do what I'm doing. Uh, keep the hay going in the baler. And if you have any problems, just stomp on this pedal right here and turn off the key and wait for me to get back. I said, okay. So I started driving. And what's interesting is when my dad left, at that, he, he got off and he went and jumped in the truck and he left. I didn't cry. I wasn't sad to be away from him at that moment. And the reason is because I was being used by him. He had put me to work doing something important for him. And I was okay if he had to go do something else. Because I was, I was serving him. I knew that I was helping him do something important. So there I'd sit with a smile on my face, sun beating down, driving around the field, making sure that I was doing it as good as I could, keeping the hay going in the baler, watching the bales come out. Or one day he put me on the trailer. He said, they're going to load up. They're going to throw the hay on the trailer. You stack it up. Okay. And he was, on the, he was on the tractor somewhere else. Was I sad and crying that we weren't together? No, because I was working for him. That's what we have to do. Hold on to the Father. But surrender what we want to be used by him. Let him put us to work. That means sometimes we have to give up what we want or what we think is good. And let him give us something that he has for us. There's a Hebrew word, it's henini. And this word means, here I am. And this word, we see it throughout, throughout the Bible, mainly in the Old Testament. Um, a few times that it's referenced in the New Testament, but um, the actual Hebrew word, of course, is not going to show up in the New Testament. It's Greek, but 
we see this idea um, when God called Moses from the burning bush. Moses replied, Hanini, which means here I am. Yes, Lord. And we remember the assignment that Moses was given next, right? To go back to Pharaoh. When, when God called Abraham and, Mo, and Abraham responded, Hanini, here I am. Yes, Lord. And then what God called Abraham to do next was go and take his son and sacrifice him. Samuel, when Samuel was a young boy, and three times the Lord called out to Samuel. And how did Samuel respond? Hanini, here I am. Yes, Lord. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, when God says, who is going to go for me? Isaiah responds, the prophet, Hanini, here I am, Lord. Send me. So we see this at work, this dichotomy of holding on to the Lord yet surrendering our lives to him. How will we be used by him? There's a little, there's a little um, organism, not, not that small, but that I think most of us know that lives in the ocean, the barnacle. You guys, most of us, if you've spent any time at the ocean, on a pier, on boats, or anywhere, you've probably seen barnacles. And I, I looked up, I spent a little time researching barnacles and how they, how they attach to things, how they live, and how they work. Um, I was kind of curious about, about them, and I found out that, that barnacles, there are different species of barnacles, and one thing that they attach to often is whales. And so a certain type of whale, like a blue whale, there's only certain barnacles that will attach to that whale, a specific species of barnacle that attach to blue whales. And those won't attach to orcas or to baleen whales or whatever. And then the same thing for gray whales or sperm whales or whatever. And so these barnacles, what they do is they attach on to a whale, and then they will crawl around the whale and find a spot that's really good. And then they, they have this uh, cement. It's kind of like a, it's this protein that they secrete, and it, it connects to the skin of the whale. And it makes this super strong cement glue that holds them on. And then the barnacle has these little feathery tentacles that it puts out into the water and it sifts the water for food, for plankton or for little bacteria or little things that they eat. And the whales, as they swim around through the ocean, the whales will go and find food. And every time the whale swims through a cloud of plankton or a cloud of food, that barnacle is feeding. And that barnacle is holding on tightly to the whale, but it's sifting through the chaotic waters for life-giving sustenance. But it's dependent on the whale to lead it to where it needs to go, to take it to food, to take it to places of, of sustenance. And that's, that's what we have to do. We have to cling to the Lord, hold tightly to him, and sift through the, the chaotic waters around us and let God provide us, lead us to those streams of living water, to those abundant pastures. I wanted to ask you, to, to text me, and, and maybe, maybe we don't have time for it, so I'll just ask you to think about, in your life, if, those, if there are chaotic things going on right now, if there are things that are, are difficult, that are confusing, that you don't know how to handle, if you feel like you're in the darkness or that you're grasping for something to hold on to, to turn to the Lord. Hold on to the Lord. And that, that means spending time in prayer. That means digging into his word. That means leaning on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Leaning on the family. 
And sometimes it means, sometimes it means coming forward and, and sharing. Sometimes it means confessing. Sometimes it just means asking for prayers or asking for help. But whatever it takes, whatever you need to do, whatever we need to do to hold on to the Lord, that's what we have to do. So if you, if you have something that, that you need prayers for, if you need support or encouragement, or have a thanksgiving of how you've seen God at work, we would love to hear that. Um, ask you to come forward and, and share that with us. Let us pray for you. Let the elders gather around you. Let us put our hands on you and pray. Uh, but please come forward and let us know what that is. Okay.